Hey dog people of the internet, welcome to Cog Dog Radio, a podcast all about dog sports, behavior, and training. I'm your host, Sarah Stremming of the Cognitive Canine, and I can't wait to share my behavior cases, training revelations, and general geekery with you. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. You all ask me about wildlife chasing all the time, and I know that that's because it is a huge barrier for people to accessing off-leash exercise for their dogs. And I give some kind of standard advice. And recently, my colleague and former student, Elisa Healy, reached out and said, hey, I hear you give this advice all the time. I actually live with sighthounds and walk sighthounds off-leash would you like to, you know, share a slightly different perspective? And I said, yes, of course I would. And so the following conversation is exactly that. Elisa walks her Rhodesian Ridgeback and Whippet off leash successfully in nature, in forested areas. And so I think that she is somebody worth listening to on this. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Can you share your name and pronouns, please? Yes, thank you. My name is Elisa Healy and my pronouns are she, her. Awesome. So we are talking about something really specific today and I don't always ask people this, but I think it's relevant. So tell us about your dogs. Yes. So I have two dogs. My older dog is Ruby. She's an eight-year-old Rhodesian Ridgeback. And then I have Laszlo, who is a two-year-old Whippet. And we do agility together. Ruby's currently competing in Laszlo's still training, getting close to being able to compete, but not quite there yet. And Laszlo is a racing type whippet. Like Laszlo is a, a, like a wow, different kind of whippet. If you, if you are not familiar <laughs> with, if you're only familiar with the confirmation type whippets, they, these whippets are a lot. <laughs> Yeah, they're different. They're they're very cool. They're super fun, very sporty, very go, go, go. And constantly, and this is actually why you reached out to me and said, let's talk about this. People ask me all the time about wildlife chasing. It comes up in Patreon all the time. It comes up in my private clientele. It's a big discussion, I think, everywhere, especially when we're talking about off-leash exercise for dogs it comes up as this huge barrier. So we're going to chat today about that. I always have my puppies off leash from day one. And I think you feel strongly about that too. So talk about off leash time for puppies. Absolutely. So even though I have breeds that are higher prey drive and that are often considered more independent, I do feel really strongly about starting them off leash from day one. And I think that this allows you to take advantage of some naturally occurring behaviors in puppies that may somewhat diminish as they start to mature and those instincts really come out more strongly. And so puppies kind of have this don't leave me general vibe about them (laughs) where, you know, they want to follow you and they don't want to get too far away from you. And so they tend to do a lot of the behaviors that I want my adult dogs to do when we're off leash. So that's looking up at me, coming over to me unprompted, you know, just checking in with me, 
following me if I change direction, coming when I call, I make, you know, a silly sound. And so these are things that I can start rewarding my puppy for doing when we're out off leash. And then they kind of become the norm when we're out on an off leash decompression walk. And so we can leverage those naturally occurring puppy behaviors so that they start to become more likely, even as my puppy grows up and matures. To me, that is why my puppies are off leash all the time. Like, I think people, a lot of people come to me and they say, when should I let my puppy off leash? And it's interesting because where they're coming from with that question is, when can I trust my puppy? And I'm saying, have them off leash from like eight weeks to five months. <laughs> like, right. Because in that gap of time, it's not about training. It's about whether or not they can be free because of course they don't have that training. It's about right. what's going to happen. They naturally follow you and stay closer to you within that age range. And so exactly. taking advantage of that and reinforcing it is invaluable. Like if yes. you skip that by keeping them on leash that whole time, you actually do have a harder time. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, the sooner, the better, I think definitely, I mean, there's no like hard, fast rule, but the earlier, the better. I honestly feel like if you're starting this past 12 weeks, you've already lost a lot of the prime time to be instilling these skills and behaviors in your puppy. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I do think that you're going to have a more difficult time you know, if you decide to unleash your puppy at five or six months old for the first time, I think you are likely to see more of the running off and the checking out as opposed to the checking in and the staying close to you. And especially for chasey or hunty type puppies, mm -hmm. right? I want to be getting these skills on board right away as opposed to waiting until they're six months old and unclipping them and then oh no, he won't come or he's, you know, 500 feet down the trail and in his own world, right? Because I didn't start putting money in the bank for checking in and staying close and, you know, following my movement and that sort of stuff. Right. Because even for those kind of chasey, hunty, prey drivey breeds, their inclination to stay closer to you for safety when they're babies will outweigh their inclination to hunt for oh, yeah. a short period of time. And so taking advantage of that, because that's going to go away fast. Quickly, yeah. they see the world as something that is full of opportunities for them. Yeah. And so before that time, we can really lay down such a good foundation. And I think that's so important. And and yet people are listening and going, well, great, thanks. Um, my, my dog is <laughs> years old and I need help. Right. 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 But you started talking about basically what we are talking about, which is that shaping off-leash reliability is about antecedent arrangement, which is what everything is about. But talk about that a little bit. How are we kind of manipulating our environment to our best advantage? Yeah. So I'm definitely not just letting my puppies off leash anywhere and everywhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Safety is important. Right, and right. I want to think about how can I set up the environment to make the behaviors I want to see very likely. So everything we've been talking about, checking in, coming when I call, all of that kind of stuff. And so I 
recognize that the environment is never fully under my control, <laughs> especially when you're out right. in nature. But there are definitely things that I do that we can do to make those wildlife encounters less likely because the more that a dog rehearses the chasing and the hunting while being off leash, then the more likely they are to chase and hunt in the future, the more likely they are to get in that zone where every like leaf crackle and branch squeak, you know, is like a potential squirrel. And I like to avoid that kind of behavior on walks. And so I'm pretty choosy about the locations where I do unclip the leash. And for my dogs, that means avoiding heavily forested areas because that is where the deer live, that is where the squirrels live, and we're much more likely to have run-ins with those types of wildlife in forests. And so I stick more with open areas like prairies or open fields where there might be like a mowed path where I have really good sight lines. I can see if there's any deer ahead of us. I don't like walking in places where I can sneak up on wildlife around a corner. Mm -hmm. And so by choosing areas that are more open, it's much more likely that we're going to encounter wildlife. Squirrels don't really hang out in open fields, at least where I live. They want trees. That's usually a bunny situation though. Yeah. So we can't kind have bunnies. To not, not really safe anywhere, but. Right. I'm doing like that. Right. right. And you can look at where you live and what Correct. matters most. Like you're talking about avoiding forested areas. And I'm going, that's most of what I have access to. But you're right. right. I do like logging roads, at least, because then I have enough of a sight line. We're not like. Right on this windy trail where I'm going to turn a corner and there's going to be a deer or a black bear or whatever else. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and to be like, to where I live, it's mostly forested. I live in the Chicago suburbs and most yeah. of the areas like out in nature are, it's called forest preserves. They're mostly heavily forested. So it has taken me some time and exploration to find these places where I feel like I'm setting my dogs up for success in these wider open areas that aren't heavily forested. And so that's something that can take some time to find those areas. Just, you know, it's not. Auditioning of the area with the dog on leash, right? You might go on some leash walks to see what you see. Right. Yeah. And keeping in mind like time of day, I try to avoid early morning and like the evening because that's when wildlife tends to be more active. And I try to find places that are going to be far from roads, you know, just thinking about safety with chasey dogs or hunty dogs. I want to be far away from roads. Again, I live in the suburbs. I'm never that far from roads. I'm, I'm very aware of that, but I do try to find places that have some level of distance from roads. Yes. So you're arranging your environment in such a way that you're saying, I'm going to avoid wildlife as much as possible. I'm going to avoid potential danger as much as possible, like those roads. Um, And that's because I'm, I'm imagining if your dog doesn't have the skill of recalling off of wildlife quite yet, you actually don't want to ask them to do it because you're just rehearsing that failure, right? So you're exactly avoiding both of those things. You're saying, I'm going to try to avoid wildlife, but let in case something happens and I don't have the skill, hopefully the dog's not going to run into trouble if they are chasing something and then 
of course, looking at the age of your dog, looking at the skills that your dogs, that your dog has at the time, what are some clues to you to put that leash on or take it off? Like what tells you that it's time to put it back on or what tells you that it's okay to take it off? Yeah, that's a really good question. So my aim with the leash is always to put it on before something happens, (laughs) right? Proactively. So sometimes I see people like, oh, he blew a recall. So now I leash him or he chased a deer. And so now I leash my pup. And honestly, I don't really think that does much. It's like you won the lottery and then had to pay like ten dollars right it's like yeah if you're well, trying to think of it as a punishment route it's gonna yeah fail. yeah exactly fail. yeah <laughs> so I try to be more preemptive with the leashing up so in some of the places that I walk in I do cut through forest trails to get to kind of another big open prairie area where I feel more comfortable letting my dogs be off leash so I'm just gonna leash them up you know for those five minutes while we walk on that forest trail it's not worth to me, my dogs, you know, having a run-in with a deer or potentially spooking a horse on a trail, right? They're, they're good with horses, but I, I don't want to be, you know, upsetting anyone else on the trail. Um, it's just not worth it for me to have them be off-leash somewhere where we are more likely to have run-ins with wildlife. And then when we get to that type of environment that is going to promote behavior that I want to see when my dog is off leash, then I'm going to unclip the leash again. I will also leash up if I start potentially, I might potentially leash up if I start noticing a lot of like frantic scanning or like really frantic sniffing. Yeah, the dog tells you that something is out. Uh Yeah. And I might just opt to change my direction or like make a funny sound or, you know, there's other things that I might do, but I'm, again, I'm not opposed to leashing up my dog in that moment to get ahead of something that might happen. So kind of reading those body language cues, you can tell a difference between just like regular leisurely sniffing and then like frantic, oh my gosh, I'm on a hot scent trail kind of sniffing. And so those are things that I will cue into as my signal that, hey, I might want to leash up here. Definitely if I see like deer in the distance, I'm going to either leash up or just change my route before my dog notices. I'm not always able to see the deer before my dog does or you know until they start running off because we've scared them but absolutely if I do notice them I'm I'm gonna clip up the leash and and, yeah usually is the dog paying attention to me today like do I feel like the dog cares that I exist today yeah because there are days when they don't especially when they go through that like five months to year and a half kind of range Mm -hmm. they have they're teenagers they have days where they care less about you yeah for lack of better words to to describe (laughs) it essentially you show up to the trail and they're looking everywhere but you right I might just keep them on their long line that day I mean if I don't think we're going to be successful I'm going to head off the potential that we're going to have totally and I don't think you necessarily have to let a dog off leash for an entire walk if you're feeling unsure maybe you let them off for two minutes or five minutes and it goes great okay, let's leash up and then continue before it all, you know, goes to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. And I don't think that occurs to people. 
Lisa, right. we, you can leash for this portion and not yep. that one. And you can take yes. them off for a little while and then you can put them back on. I don't think it occurs to people um, that it's okay to have them leashed for a portion and not for another. And it doesn't yeah. mean that your walk like doesn't count or something like no, that. No, yeah. I don't see it as failure of my dog's off-leash skills. I see it as a tool to preserve and even strengthen my dog's off-leash abilities because as we know, prevention of unwanted behavior is so important. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's, it's like any other management tool. If right. I put up a baby gate to prevent my dog from engaging in some unwanted behavior, like, I don't know, eating something off the counter that I've left to cool or jumping on somebody that comes in the door. Is that a failure of my training? I'm going to say it's the opposite. Right. Yeah. Right? That's good dog training. That's good dog exactly. management because without right. good management of dogs, your training is kind of worthless. <laughs> and if you don't manage them, I don't know what your point, your, your point is in trying to train them because they're not perfect. So, and, and you're not either. So using a management tool, when the situation calls for it, yes, good, smart management of dogs. Right. And I think that also allows me to be comfortable and not accidentally sabotage the training that I'm doing because if I'm like a nervous Nelly walking down a heavily forested trail and then I start calling my dog every, you know, 30 seconds because I'm worried, oh my God, is it a deer that they're like sensing? And then I'm ruining my recall because I'm yep. overusing it. And then I'm nervous and they sense I'm nervous. And then they're like, oh my gosh, is there something ahead around this bend? Because mom's like being super weird. And so we should go look. And then, right. So the leash helps me manage myself as well so that I'm not accidentally sabotaging myself and my dogs. Yes, I think that's so, <laughs> so important because if you're micromanaging them, you're over recalling, you're being nervous, you're being weird, you're, it's very bad. Right. Yeah. And so it's saying a muzzle with a dog that is a potential bite risk. It allows everybody mm. to relax and act normally. Right. Yeah. Which is so important. And so for me, like leashing for five minutes is worth it to give my dogs like one or two hours of incredible off-leash fun right like it just it's a no-brainer for me yeah I agree so when people ask me about chasing wildlife I really notoriously answer that I am a don't let it happen person right so my my routine generally speaking with my dogs is to avoid chasing wildlife at all costs full disclosure Every single dog that I have has at some point chased an animal that I didn't want them to chase. Like I am not perfect, but I try really hard to be, I work really, really hard at them not chasing wildlife. It's a big deal to me that the reinforcement history is weighing really heavily on my side of things and not on the environment side of things. Mm -hmm. If my dogs, you know, I've had people say that their dog has a two-year history of chasing everything, deer, moose, elk, whatever. And they're ready to make it stop now. And that is really, really, really tough to get to the other side of. And that's a situation I never want to be in. So I'm really much a don't let it happen person. 
you are have a little bit of a different opinion and I love it and I'm really excited to hear about it. But one thing that you do, which I would tend to only do in those cases that I have kind of an established problem or a problem starting to rear its head, whereas you're more proactive about it, is setting up ways to actively train disengagement from wildlife. And so I want to hear about that process. Yeah. So because my the breeds I have tend to come with genetically pre-installed knowledge that chasing wildlife is incredibly fun and kind of the best thing ever. I try to be proactive, as you said, about their behavior around wildlife. And so, as we talked about, I try to avoid wildlife as much as I can on our off-leash outings, but I'm fully aware that the wildlife is there. At some point, we're we're going to encounter it. And so, I like to train skills of disengagement and recall around wildlife, but in more controlled settings. So I'm not going to wait until my dog is, you know, 100 yards away chasing a deer to test out my recall and see if it works (laughs) around wildlife, right? Like, not going to work. It's going to fail, you know, most definitely. And so what I like to do is take my dog out on a leash or a long line In locations where we are very likely to see wildlife, I know places in my area where every time I walk, we see lots of deer, there's lots of bunnies, there's lots of squirrels, there's geese. Even in my backyard, we have bird feeders and squirrels and bunnies will come hang out under the bird feeders. And so I can work on this in my backyard. And I basically play the look at that game from Leslie McDevitt, a control unleashed pattern game around wildlife. And so this game is all about teaching the dog to disengage from a trigger or a distraction or something interesting on their own without necessarily being prompted by you with a cue. And so I heavily reward my puppies and my adult dogs for turning away or looking at me away from a critter. And again, this is on a long line because I don't want them building up a massive history, like you said, a two-year history of chasing critters because it's going to be a lot harder for me to change behavior with that history behind them. And so I have the long line as a safety net, but my goal is for the leash to stay loose the whole time. I don't really want the puppy or the dog, you know, straining in their harness or their collar at the ends of the leash, like choking themselves out, trying to get to a bunny or a squirrel. My goal is for the leash to be loose and kind of for it to be more of a safety net than the actual mechanism that's keeping my dog, you know, near me. (laughs) And I will also, you know, practice recalls on a long line around wildlife. Again, going to places where I know we are probably going to encounter them. That way, you know, it's it's likely that they're going to be there and I can actually have a successful session, you know, working towards the goal that I have in mind for my dog around this, as opposed to just like going to a park and hoping that, you know, some kind of wildlife will be there. So trying to be smart about where I go so I can make the most of my time doing this. And with recalls, I really like to split things out. So rather than being really ambitious and attempting to call my dog away while they're really hyper fixated on a bunny, I might, you know, wait until the bunny goes away and then let them sniff where the bunny was and then call them away from the scent of the bunny. Right. So they're not 
like in hot pursuit of the bunny down a trail, but they're still super aroused and they're super excited about the smell of the bunny. And then I might practice a recall away from the scent of the bunny, or I might wait until, you know, the squirrel goes up the tree where it's definitely out of reach. And then I might call them away from, you know, looking at the squirrel up in the tree. And so kind of finding where can I slip this down so that when I really need to call my dog off a deer when they're off leash, they're more likely to do it because I haven't just thrown them into the deep end. And you've built that, again, that reinforcement history on your side of things where you would like it to be rather than, and recognizing that chasing a rabbit for your sighthounds, probably you can never beat that. Right. Right. And so that means that your history has to be what beats it. It right. has to be the, you know, when everybody says, well, you know, your treat is never going to be better. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. No, yeah, no. It, but reinforcement history is an interesting thing. And when you have actually built up, you know, it's years and years of treats for easy recalls. Right. That are outweighing this potential to chase. That's what right. shows up for right. me. And you're talking about actively building it in these kind of salient situations uh, where the wildlife matters to Yeah. And you'd start with disengagement from wildlife, then start to talk about recalls off of maybe scent. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how we're splitting it down. Yeah. Working towards, you know, the final goal of like a moving animal you know, that's so hard for a sight hound. Like that just triggers the that's instinct so to chase them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's arguably, and not just for arguably sight hounds. The, right. Arguably one of the hardest things that we could ask. Yeah. Any dog. And so I want to split it down and ask for that, for the recalls and even check-ins in easier scenarios around wildlife, but working towards that final goal of being able to call them off like a moving animal. And it has been very effective. My dogs will disengage easily from squirrels on walks. It's not like they're, you know, like army crawling down the sidewalk trying to, you know, get Mm -hmm. to a squirrel that's streaked across the sidewalk if you go for a neighborhood walk. Uh, They will disengage often from stationary wildlife that we may encounter, which again is not super common because of where we're walking. But when we do see them, they often will, you know, turn towards me or come over to me as a check-in as opposed to just immediately taking off after them. So I do think that it has helped. Do I expect them to, you know, always disengage by choice all the time for every wildlife, even if it's, you know, running across the path 10 feet in front of them? No, because Right. They're sight hounds and, you know, that's where the recall can come in into play. Um, but I do think that it has made a big difference in their ability to choose to disengage from wildlife on their own. Yeah, and it would, right? And I, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, I am a don't let it happen as far as don't let them chase wildlife person. But that doesn't mean that I don't teach them to actively disengage from things that are interesting to them and choose yeah. me instead. But there are, you know, people do like to tell me that I don't know how to train any dogs because the dogs I have are border collies. Um, (laughs) And so (laughs) here we are talking about not border collies. And I would like to point out that my Icelandic has an excellent recall. But 
something that I think is important and I think it's important to you and it should be important to all of us is that I don't really think that chasing deer or rabbits is essential for the well-being of my herding dogs. But I know that you've kind of grappled with this, having sighthounds, like what right do you have basically Mm -hmm. to try to uninstall this like deeply ingrained thing that they've got in them. So when they're born to chase, is it fair to never let them? Right. And as you said, this is something that I think about often and just dogs in general, how much power we have to potentially control them, manipulate their behavior. And, you know, is that right? You know, and I kind of land in a place where I want to give my dogs off-leash freedom, but I want to be safe, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? And I want to be smart about it. And so it's kind of a balance of recognizing, acknowledging, and honoring the instincts that they have while still trying to meet their needs. Like for me, you know, having a Ridgeback and a Whippet, it just doesn't sit right with me to not give them off-leash freedom and let them run. Like they just love to run, like not even chasing stuff, but just like the joy of running, like the look on their faces, they just absolutely have, they're like passionate about running just to run. Mm -hmm. And so I want to give that to them. And so the way that I feel I can do that is by giving them time off leash in nature, that's relatively unstructured. And so that's kind of where I'm at, but still recognizing that they do have high prey drive and they do really enjoy chasing. And like you said, is it okay for me to just completely squelch that and try to train that out of them? Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I don't even think that that's possible, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. And so it's kind of led me to thinking about, well, can I use chasing as reinforcement because they do love it so much and it is hardwired into their genetics. And I know this is something that probably not everyone agrees with or, you know, everyone is willing to try, but I have experimented with using chasing as reinforcement. Mm -hmm. And so I do try to be really smart about this. For me, I mostly stick with letting my dogs chase birds as reinforcement, hmm. specifically because they fly away and then birds have gone. an advantage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, if we're with geese in a body of water, they will go in the water, and my dogs are not the kind of dogs that are going to swim out there and, you know, try to catch a goose in the middle of a lake. Right. And so um, I pretty much only use birds as reinforcement, as, as chasing birds as reinforcement yeah and so how this might look is maybe my dog sees some geese and they will check in with me because of all of the work that I've done which we just talked about and then we might we might pause we might heal a little bit closer and then if they have if I have their attention if they're engaged with me if they're looking at me they're moving with me then I will give them a cue to release them to go chase the birds and I 
usually do this at a distance where I'm very sure the birds are going to get away in time that they're not going to get caught, right? So my dogs have never actually caught anything, <laughs> even right. though they're, you know. And I'll remind everyone, because if you're, you know, feeling prickly about allowing the dogs to chase geese, like I'll remind everyone that companies are hired to bring dogs out to clear this geese. Is true. Yeah. Off of golf courses, off of runways. Um, it is, it's kind of something that our society has deemed acceptable in the <laughs> when it benefits the human. And so who are you to say that you're doing damage, but the people who bring border collies in to clear geese off a runway are not doing damage. Right. That doesn't feel that different for me. Right. You know, people get, people do get really prickly about. Yeah. And I understand that. Yeah. About allowing animals to chase wildlife and I, or our dogs to chase wildlife. And I like this kind of compromise of using birds that are, that you know, from your dog. Yeah. I never use deer. I don't, I really do everything I can to prevent my dogs from chasing deer because they're large and my dogs can track them for a long distance. It's not a bird or like even a bunny, like sure it's a ground animal, but they lose them fairly easily. And then they just come back to me. Right. Whereas a deer, they can track those for a longer distance and a longer period of time. And I really don't love that. And so again, it's kind of that compromise of using birds, they fly away, they go in the lake, and then, yay, it's done, right? But they still get that thrill of the chase, and they have an outlet to do, you know, what they were bred to do, and what we as humans selectively bred them over many generations to do. Yeah, and if you're not, I think that you would, and the reason that I don't talk about this as a reinforcement strategy is because I don't ever want it to be somebody's sole or only reinforcement no, strategy. And no, we've no, 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 no. for a long time about how it's really not. Like you use a lot of reinforcement strategies. That right. That. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's other ways that we can tap into chasey and hunty feelings when we're thinking about reinforcing our dogs for checking in or recalling. And so for my dogs, they love chasing tossed food Mm -hmm. like they love it (laughs) their eyes get huge and they're like super bouncy and enthusiastic about it and so I will sometimes you know if I do recall them off wildlife or even if it's just a practice recall where you know I'm calling them off nothing I will often throw food you know have a few pieces of food and chuck it to the right and then chuck it to the left and they're super jazzed and they're really excited and they're chasing down that treat is it the same as chasing a rabbit? No, I am not kidding myself. You know, that it's the same feeling as chasing wildlife, but it's super fun. It's a lot more fun than just eating a piece of cheese out of my hand, right? And yeah. it does kind of tap into those chasey feelings. I also love incorporating my own motion into the reward because chasing me down is super fun for them. Mm-hmm. And so if they are turning towards me as a check-in, just kind of voluntarily, you know, looking over and moving towards me, I might just take off running. And then when they catch me, they get a yummy snack. Or I might recall them and then take off running. And then when they catch me, I reward them. And so again, yeah, it's not a deer, but it is super fun to chase mom down, right? And catch her before I can get away. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I don't recommend people allowing their dog to chase wildlife as a reinforcement for listening is 
something that you're also tapping into right now, which is that when you utilize something as a reinforcer, this kind of phenomenon occurs where it becomes more powerful and it becomes Mm -hmm. more reinforcing. And you're talking about building reinforcement strategies like chasing food, like chasing you, like all of these games that you play that you are using as reinforcers and putting the power into. And I love the idea of putting all of that power into reinforcement strategies that do involve you, that do involve engagement with the person rather than those strategies that involve engagement with the environment. Definitely. And just as a note, the amount of times that I do use chasing birds as reinforcement is very small compared like minimal, to the amount. Right? Yeah, yeah, minimal. It's, it's it not usually right. what you're doing, which is why I think yeah. it's really working for you. It's one tool in your tack box. Yeah. And it gets pulled out in these rare times where it's perfect. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> these rare yeah. times where it's the perfect reinforcer for you. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So real talk, are your dogs perfect around the <laughs> So I don't really love the word perfect, but I, I know what you're asking. <laughs> They're not uh, perfectly programmed machine robots, no. But I will say that we achieve my goal for off-leash time in nature with them, which is to give them freedom of movement, you know, in nature and let them be dogs. And I feel like we are able to accomplish that very successfully, despite, you know, the high prey tribe instincts that they have. And so I I don't think they're perfect, but I think that we are, we have the skills that we need to do it in a way that feels safe and comfortable and fulfilling for all of us. And, you know, when they do chase, I kind of have two ways of handling it. I may just let it happen, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if a random like rogue squirrel is out in the middle of the prairie for some crazy reason, right? And it streaks across our path five feet in front of us, like I'm probably just going to let them chase it, right? They're going to lose it quickly. And then because of all the training we've done, they're going to come back to me right away. And so it's not going to be this whole ordeal, you know, where I'm panicked and and freaking out. And so I might just let them have the chase. I mean, they're, as I keep saying, like they're sight hounds. That's what we created this breed to do is to chase, you know, fast moving things. Um, Or I might recall them. And that really just depends on the situation. Like I said, I really don't love them chasing deer. Um, For the most part, we avoid deer because of how strategic I am about setting up the environment and where we go and when I unclip and when I do leash up. Um, And so we really, they really don't have that many opportunities to chase deer, but I probably will be calling them off deer if we do encounter them and they will come, they will come off the deer successfully. Um, It's, it's happened multiple times. I give them their recall words and they will come flying back to me. Um, Laszlo took off after a coyote a couple months ago, which this is the first time it's ever, ever happened. And I didn't even see it at first. It was so well blended in. I kind of just thought he was running. And then I saw that, oh, it's a coyote. And so I called him and he did come back right away. And so 
I do think I've pretty successful. You're pretty successful. Yes. Yeah, I've been able to strike a balance of like recognizing that yeah, they're gonna chase that chipmunk that just ran across the path, and okay, fine, right? But then also, hey, yeah, I really don't want you chasing that coyote or that like herd of deer, you know? Um, And mixed with like the disengagement piece, right? Where if it's a deer, like a stationary deer, they're very likely just to turn back to me on their own and not take off chasing. So all these pieces kind of fit together to help me feel good about letting them off leash in certain spaces outdoors. Awesome. Good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Elisa. This is a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. If you'd like to support this podcast, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. You might even hear me answer your question on the show. For more content like the stuff you heard here, check out my online courses at cog-dog-classroom.teachable.com.